Hi, and welcome. I'm NPR Illinois General Manager, Randy Eccles, and we're really happy to have you here tonight for this, I believe, 2021's culminating event. We're really looking forward to getting to meet the authors tonight, and we will hear many excellent essays. This is the 15th year for this, I believe, on NPR Illinois, so there have been over 150 authors over that time. And just about now, some of the first authors are hitting their mid-30s. So uh, we, we hope they still believe what they believed. And we really want to thank the folks who have supported this, I believe, on NPR Illinois through the years. That includes the Rotary Club of Springfield Sunrise. They've been a partner all the way through and do a great job of making the students feel welcome throughout the year when we've been able to meet in person. And this year, we're, we're trying this unique remote version. Also, I'd like to thank KEB, BLH, the SJR, and Marine Bank for their support. And just reminding you that NPR Illinois' mission is to explain Illinois. We are here as a, both a cultural entertainment service and a news service to provide you with information that helps you make decisions in democracy. So we appreciate you listening. You can find all of this, I believe, essays at nprillinois.org, plus lots of news. So we appreciate you visiting there when you have a chance. And more than anything, I wanna make sure that I thank B Bonner and she's done a tremendous job organizing this and also the staff at both NPR Illinois and at the University of Illinois Springfield. So we will turn over to B to get the program started. Thank you for attending. Good evening and welcome to the This I Believe essay program culminating event 2021. My name is B Bonner and I am the Community Voices Editor at NPR Illinois. I just want to thank all of you all for joining us this evening as we celebrate all the essayists on their hard work writing about what they indeed believe. Now before we jump in, I would like to give a little bit of information about the program. This, I believe, started as a radio show, and it was hosted by Edward K. Moreau back in 1951. The radio show provided a chance for contributors to write about what they believe and hold near and dear to their hearts. And since 2007, NPR Illinois has adopted the program. Also since 2007, we've had some great partners. The Rotary Club of Springfield Sunrise has been a tremendous partner as we continue to get essays every year telling us what they believe. The State Journal Register also is a partner to this program. They are able to print the essays in their newspaper and this year they were even able to place them on their online website. Right now, I would like to recognize all the sponsors of the program this year. The Rotary Club of Springfield Sunrise, the State Journal Register, BLH Computers, KEB, Marine Bank, Ronnie Mohan, and Brian Barstead. We thank you all so much for all that you've done this year. We couldn't have done this program without you. It truly makes a huge difference. At this time, I'd like to recognize all the dignitaries who have joined us tonight and who have recognized the students. Senator Turner, Senator McClure, Representative Shear, Mayor Langfelder, Superintendent of Springfield Public Schools, Jennifer Gill, UIS Chancellor Karen Whitney, 
and all the teachers and parents, friends, families of the students who have made this program possible every year. Thank you so much for your support. It's because of you we get awesome students each year that are able to talk about what they believe, who are able to open up our minds, make us laugh, make us cry. Thank you all so much. Before we hear the essays, because I know we're all really excited and I know that's what we're here to do, I have an awesome video with remarks and encouraging words from UIS Chancellor Karen Whitney and Liz Muir. She is one of the members of the Rotary Club of Springfield Sunrise and Liz also served as a judge for this year's This I Believe essay program. Stay tuned. Hi, my name is Karen Whitney and I'm the interim chancellor at the University of Illinois Springfield. And it is an honor to acknowledge this tremendous event, the This I Believe essay program and this culminating event, which allows us to showcase the work of 10 finalists and the essays that they've written. I can't think of a more fitting event that really speaks to the University of Illinois Springfield's commitment to leadership and live, and its values and hard work and the commitment that we bring to the community in our teaching research and service. I congratulate the essayists on their great achievements. I encourage them to continue to write and to live and to lead and contribute back to our society. Go Prairie Stars. Hi, I'm Liz Muir, and I'm a member of the Springfield Sunrise Rotary. Our Sunrise Rotary has partnered with the This I Believe program for 15 years, and what a partnership it has been. I was one of the judges able to select from 175 essays down to 10 finalists. These essays are amazing. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll relate. Either way, you are going to really enjoy listening to these young authors read their essays. And our Sunrise Springfield Rotary, along with other sponsors, will be giving each of these finalists a $500 scholarship. So it's a win-win situation. When you listen to these essays this evening, I truly believe you won't be disappointed. And this, I believe. Thank you, Chancellor Whitney, and thank you, Liz, so much for your encouraging words and remarks. And now, the moment we've all been waiting for. Next, we hear the essays from this year's This I Believe Essay Program 2021. First, we have Abby Tiemann from Glenwood High School reading her essay, Diversity Makes the World a Better Place. I'm Abby Tiemann, This I Believe. There are those who find comfort in surrounding themselves with people who are similar to them. Others would rather be around people who have different perspectives because it helps them to learn more about their world and themselves. On a trip to New York City over Easter weekend when I was 15, I discovered which type of person I am. My dad thought it would be fun to go to the Easter parade on Fifth Avenue. I expected the parade to be like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day or the St. Patrick's Day parades. I thought there would be marching bands and floats with crowds of people watching on the sides. But the Easter parade was very different. Before we left the hotel, I watched as my dad enthusiastically took three bonnets out of a suitcase. My first thought was, I am absolutely not wearing this ridiculous thing around the city. The hat was huge. It was light pink and had an overly wide brim with a big bow on top. What if we were the only ones at the parade wearing crazy bonnets? I would be so embarrassed. 
But when we got there, I realized why we were wearing bonnets. Instead of spectators watching from the sides of the street, everybody was gathered together in the middle of Fifth Avenue and almost everyone was wearing an Easter bonnet. There were men dressed in colorful suits with bonnets that towered over the crowd. Women wore bright wigs with fantastical hats on top. But what I really noticed was the different types of people wearing these cra crazy outfits. I saw people of all different races and heard so many different languages. The parade goers were old, young, black, white, gay, straight. Even though these people were different in so many ways, they had come together to celebrate their uniqueness and each other. It was something I'd never seen before, and I found that beautiful. Stepping down from the stairs in front of St. Patrick's Cathedral and onto Fifth Avenue, I joined the crowd. Immediately, people started talking to me, and I felt like I was a part of their celebration. A drag queen dressed in a bright green dress with fake butterflies stuck on and wearing a blonde beehive wig wove her way through the crowd to talk to me. She said, your bonnet is fabulous, but your dress needs more color. I laughed, looking down at my simple black dress. I'll keep that in mind for next year. Grinning at me under her many layers of makeup, she let herself once again be absorbed into the crowd of people. Meeting her and others at the parade was exciting. I'd never interacted with a group of people this diverse before, and I loved it. I believe diversity makes the world a better place. I believe seeking out and embracing diversity makes me a better person. I've not worn my bonnet since the parade, but I like to look at pictures I took that day and remember the joy I felt when I was surrounded by all of the different people. And I will always remember what the drag queen taught me. Do not be afraid to stand out and always wear the brighter dress. That was Abby Tiemann from Glenwood High School. Next, we have Frankie Kulovic from Springfield High School reading his essay, I Believe in Thread. I'm Frankie Kulovic and this, I believe. A small fragile piece of thread is what I believe a piece of thread that is often overlooked. I believe in a piece of thread that has been intertwined in my life for a multitude of years, from using it in my kindergarten art class to using it to hang a German project my sophomore year of high school, from stitching on my very first merit badge on my sass to stitching my Eagle Scout badge on my Scout uniform. I deeply understand the importance of a simple, thin piece of thread in my life. It was not until recently that I understood the importance of thread in my life. In the blink of an eye, my whole life changed. The whole world changed. In-person school was switched to online classes. I was live streaming a church with empty seats. I couldn't see any of my friends, and I found myself trapped inside four walls. The four walls I once called home magically turned into a pseudo prison. Yet the thread was still there. I remember the first time since the pandemic that I was able to attend a youth group, a physical thread appeared. As we passed a thin piece of blue thread, we were told to say our hopes and goals. By the time the thread made it around the circle, one could see the thread hold tightly, touching everyone present. We were reminded that we are all in life together by holding on to a single piece of thread that we do not need a rope to be connected. A single thread can do that. I am reminded of a phrase, holding on by a thread, as I write this essay. I always thought the phrase referenced when one's life is falling apart and he or she is alone, barely holding on. However, 
I stand mistaken. I believe the statement means that we are all in this together. Even when life seems fragile, the piece of thread being held onto will never break. Thread is a source of understanding for my life. I understand that every decision I make, I know that I am not alone, as I will be holding on by a thread. I believe in a fragile piece of thread to influence my decisions when I face a problems and many unknowns. I believe in a simple piece of thread to be a metaphor of life. I believe in a piece of thread that is holding me together. That was Frankie Kulovic from Springfield High School. Next, we have Haley Smith from Pittsfield High School reading her essay, Music is Stronger Than MS. My name is Haley Smith and this I believe. When my grandmother was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, it completely changed her life. She lived in fear of when she may forget who she was, but more importantly, who she loved. In 2016, my grandfather had a stroke, which sped up the time frame of my grandma's memory loss. My mother did her best to keep my grandparents both out of nursing homes and hospitals, but eventually it became inevitable and we had no choice but to put them into nursing homes. I would visit both of my grandparents as often as I could. When they were in town, I visited them every day, and when they were out of town, only a few times a week. It didn't take long for my grandmother to forget who we were and at times who she was. She could not differentiate between fantasy and reality. There were moments when I held a baby doll as grandma told me that it was her child and that he really seemed to love me. There were also moments when she would explain how she remembered singing the carpenters with me after she picked me up from school. Every moment was clicking between the real truth and her truth. Although she didn't always know me, there was one thing that she never forgot, music. If she ever began to get worked up or upset because she couldn't remember something or couldn't form her words correctly, I would sing one of the songs that we used to sing together when I was young. After getting a few words into the song, she would join in, not missing a single word or beat. My favorite song was one of the first that I had learned with her whenever I was young, Sing by the Carpenters. Although further along into her journey of MS, she often couldn't even make a sentence, she could still sing the songs with me. Over four years, she fought the worst part of her MS, long and hard. It took everything from her mind, except for music. And I know that not every person who is diagnosed is as lucky as she was, that some people got everything they ever knew taken from them, which makes me all the more grateful that my grandma got to keep our one thing. In October of 2019, my grandma passed away. I felt like I had lost my grandmother for the second time in a way. I often listen to those songs that she and I used to sing together from when I was seven up until our last time. On her birthday this past year, I got a tattoo on my forearm in memory of her. It reads the lyrics, Just Sing, from our favorite Carpenter song. I look at it and remember her strength and her fight against MS using the one weapon that I believe in the end was much stronger than multiple sclerosis, music. That was Haley Smith from Pittsfield High School. Coming up next, we have Grace Mays from Rochester High School reading her essay, I Believe in Lemonade Shakeups. I'm Grace Mays, and this I believe. Last fall, the streets that were once filled with anticipating customers 10 days ago were now deserted. I thought I would be relieved, but I was nostalgic. I could not believe it was over. 12 years ago, my parents had a crazy idea. They bought a lemonade stand and became carnies at the Illinois State Fair every year. At a young age, me and my other 
three siblings, were taught the true value of hard work and what some may call it the carny life. As we age, so did our responsibilities within the sand. My parents began to disperse different aspects of the sand until eventually it was all ours. We became immersed in the concept of owning a business through shaking a lemonade shake up. One of our first tasks was to rename the sand. We renamed it GTC Concessions. GTC stands for going to college because all the profit made was put towards paying our college tuitions. The work to prepare, operate, and clean up was hard but rewarding. Through the process of learning entrepreneurship skills and teamwork, my love for people and business only grew. For 10 days out of the year, I was able to spend time with my siblings while making money towards our futures. Yet the money made from shaking lemonade shakeups was nothing compared to the family foundation built on them. Family unification can be defined in many ways. While we went to church as a family on Sundays and ate family meals together, the Illinois State Fairgrounds was the breeding ground for my own family foundation. We were and are each other's support system. On days my sister was feeling fatigued and overworked, I moved to the front of the stand. On other days where I was not feeling my best, she did the same. We carried and supported each other at the fair just as we continue to do at our home. Through faith, love, and our firm foundation, we became a unit. By having difficult business conversations and carrying each other through long nights, the foundation of my family strengthened. The art of shaking lemonade shakeups may seem insignificant to those who do not know my family's story, but GCC Concessions has been a constant in my life. No matter what my family went through, we would always spend 10 days out of the year together shaking shakeups and frying corn dogs. As I prepared to enter the adult world, I realized the drastic impact lemonade shakeups have had on my life. Lemonade shakeups are the reason I can afford to go to college next year. Lemonade shakeups are the reason I have a passion for entrepreneurship and people. Most importantly, lemonade shakeups built my family's foundation and memories that will last forever. Who knew a sour lemon could result in so much sweetness? I believe in lemonade shakeups. That was Grace Mays from Rochester High School. Next, we have Karis Turner from Southeast High School reading her essay, I Believe in the Butterfly Effect. I'm Karis Turner, and this, I believe. Dear Keisha Lene, it's funny how two people can look exactly alike and know so little about one another. At once we shared everything, toys, a womb, and bedroom, and now next to nothing. At times I wonder if you would have played volleyball, how dynamic our duo could have been if you were set or now was an outside, how we would have had a chemistry that no one else could touch or if we would have stayed up at night watching reruns of The Bachelor, placing our bets for who we believed would walk out with the wedding ring, or if he would have enjoyed some of the same food combinations as me, like hot Cheetos and cream cheese. Since the day you died, my fate was sealed. I was to work twice as hard to make up for what you couldn't experience. I put in two times as many hours on the court. I studied two times more. I laughed twice as much, and I loved twice as hard. I felt I always had something to prove. Everything I did, I put my 100% into. The countless all-nighters I pulled to ensure I would ace my test. The numerous injuries I faced from putting too much of myself into practices and workouts. I developed a toxic perfectionist lifestyle, but I had to prove that your death meant something to me. That I didn't take it lightly. To prove that there is a reason why God left me here and not you. 
In seventh grade, I broke down after science class because I had not only failed the test, but failed you as well. I feared that I had let you down. I was afraid that you thought I forgot about you. My freshman year, I hardly drove with my permit because I was afraid that if I got into an accident, your death would have been for nothing. I could have let the survivor's girl eat me alive. I could have let the dots drive me insane. But when I once asked, why me? I now ask, who's going to stop me? And although I was too young to form an unforgettable memory of you, I wouldn't be who I am without you. You motivate me in more ways than you could ever know. The butterfly effect says that one event can change the course of everything. Maybe if you were here, I wouldn't be as stubborn, determined, or optimistic. Maybe your death uncovered my potential, which might have been overshadowed by being known as someone's twin sister. Maybe it was an honest mistake. Your death changed the course of the life I was to live. You are my butterfly. This, I believe. Love, the one you left behind. That was Karis Turner from Southeast High School. Next, we have Elizabeth Scherschel from Springfield High School reading her essay, I Believe the Cookie Monster Had It Right. I'm Elizabeth Scherschel, and this, I believe. Chocolate chip, pizza, oatmeal raisin, yawn hoggle, shortbread, camasheel, gingerbread, stroopwafel, coconut, peanut butter. Nearly everyone likes a cookie, regardless of background, identity, or politics. Thus, cookies can help bridge the gaps we've created in our communities. I believe cookies can bring us together. I was not excited to move in first grade. Nebraska was very different from Indianapolis, where I'd lived my whole life. We arrived in the neighborhood, and all I wanted to do was go home. Then our neighbors began coming over with plates of cookies. Cookies were an excuse, as it were, for them to introduce themselves and make connections with strangers, with us. I spent five years in that neighborhood without learning the first names of many of our neighbors, but I knew every member of the families who came to introduce themselves that first week. Cookies can break the ice, but they can also forge bonds to people we've never met and places we've never been. Different cultures have their own cookie recipes, and in the age of the internet, we can access those recipes with little more than a click. We as humans are frightened of the unknown. That's why we race up the stairs once we turn off the light. Cookies can make the unknown known. And what more reassuring introduction to new culture can there be than cookies? Many cookie recipes are also passed down from generation to generation. My grandmother's oatmeal crispy is a recipe her mother made frequently. The recipe uses cheap bulk ingredients that were easy to come by during the Great Depression. Now I make oatmeal crispies with my mother, connecting us to relatives and hardships five generations ago. By sharing a piece of someone's culture or their history, we understand people better. The cookies themselves are a mere conduit, like a bridge from one shore to another. The cookies bring us together. The act of baking cookies together can also bring us together. No one collaborates on making cookies in silence. At some point, conversation flows, and if you listen, friendships form. In the same way that school group work forges bonds between classmates, cookie making connects us outside the classroom. Right now, we're socially distanced. I haven't seen my extended family in nearly a year. Instead, we baked cookies. We baked simultaneously over Zoom and sent tins full of various cookies to one another through the mail. It helped keep our traditions alive. While we could not bake and eat them together this year, we still made and shared cookies. They brought us together when we could not physically be together. As a young child, I watched Cookie Monster praise cookies. At the time, I had the dentist's warnings about cookies in my head, and I didn't quite believe Cookie Monster. Now, I know he was right. Cookies, while they do taste good, are more than their physical construct. They have immense power to bring us together. 
That was Elizabeth Scherchel from Springfield High School. Coming up, we have Hunter Hobbs from Louisiana High School in Missouri, reading his essay, Doing the Right Thing. I'm Hunter Hobbs and this, I believe. I believe in doing the right thing, even when no one is watching. Most people do what is right when they're being watched by their peers or someone with authority. The fewer do so when there's no one there that can hold you accountable. This was made clear when I went to basic training during the summer. The days that we slept in were our responsibility to maintain. When the drill sergeants were not present, nothing seemed to get done. That was because with no one to hold people accountable, they felt that they did not have to clean. I decided to take it upon myself to do what was right, even though there were no superiors in the world. The base housed 60 of us, but no one wanted to do their fair share of cleaning. I knew that I'm not getting any help, and I would be the only person doing what we're supposed to be doing, but I still picked up the broom. The next three hours, I slept and mopped the bay floor while everyone else relaxed against their lockers. It took a couple of days for everyone else to decide to help too. Pretty soon, almost everyone was cleaning, and it took a lot less time to make the base spotless, even though it was never clean enough for the drill sergeants. Do the right thing, even when no one else would, help change people around me in a positive way. It made them realize that they should be doing what was right as well. This demonstrates the power people have on others. If you lead by example, others will follow. Even when you do not think anyone can see, there's always someone around that is seeing what you do when you think you're alone. It's doing something right when you are alone that truly matters, because that is when your actions speak the most. You should always do what is right, even when nobody's watching, because that's when it matters most. This, I believe. That was Hunter Hobbs from Louisiana High School. Next, we have Madeline Sievers from Springfield High School reading her essay, I Believe in Car Stereos. My name is Madeline Sievers and this I believe. I believe in car stereos. The stereo may be seen as a flashy accessory for an otherwise necessary means of transportation. But I believe a car stereo is the most important feature of a car. It is the heart of all socialization. Whether a touchscreen or good old fashioned buttons, this modern music box is something of a magic trick. By amplifying audio signals through the speakers, this machine can create music out of thin air. Although the appliance is far more for just an easy listening. Within each car stereo, there lies a story, a song cue from a long day, a podcast history during a brainstorm or a phone call from mom. This contraption has an etched memory of late nights of Joni Mitchell after a breakup. The stereo contains a story of a life. I never understood the importance of car stereos until I installed one with my father. We tore apart my old Chevy Cavalier to replace the radio. Without understanding the level of work we would have to instill on this car, we removed the plastic dashboard cover. Because of the vehicle's age, it shattered into pieces immediately. After copious amounts of swearing and days of online researching for a replacement part, my father and I finally found a matching piece. Once we had this, the rest of the installation developed these. I often look back on that day whenever I play music for my stereo. I think about the relationship with my father and how we often connect building things together. I wonder how many other connections are made through car stereos. How many high school sweethearts connected through Dion's greatest hits? How many mothers connected to their daughters when they play the same music they once listened to in the 80s? How could something so inanimate fuel so many deep human attachments? I cherish the way people form attachments to ordinary objects and the ways in which they associate them with certain emotions. It's fascinating that people across the world 
thousands of miles away in a myriad of car models and types may find a likeness in each other through a simple radio transmission. I believe in the power of car stereos. That was Madeline Sievers from Springfield High School. Next, we have Lisa Zabelski from Springfield High School reading her essay, Handwriting. I'm Lisa Zabelski and this I believe. For over four years, I've walked away from Compass for Kids where I volunteer weekly with a warm hearted feeling, truly inexplicable. Throughout this time, I've built unbreakable bonds with many of my students and have gained access to the most intimate aspects of their personalities. Different from other elementary students, in the short amount of time the Compass Kids have been alive, food insecurity, physical or mental abuse, and many other situations that most adults will never face have monopolized their lives. At my first Valentine's Day celebration with the children, I received a heart-shaped note in scribbly, perfectly imperfect handwriting that said, thank you, Miss Lisa, for coming and helping me. Yes, words were misspelled and you had to turn your head and squint to make out my name, but no gesture since has made me feel so appreciated. Although this certainly exited the memory of this child the second that they handed me the letter, I have had this hung up above my desk for nearly four years. It has brought me large amounts of comfort, namely in the past year, for I can only see my students virtually today. In today's overwhelmingly digital society, I have found to cherish all handwritten tokens. I will always choose writing over typing. When I type in double space, 12 point Times New Roman font identical to my peers, I feel robotic as if my work is insubstantial. However, I take solace when using a ballpoint pen and paper for my personality radiates through the curvy words on the page. I am truly aware and focused on each stroke of my pen and what I am writing versus aimlessly clicking my laptop's text prediction. Personally, being hunched over a piece of paper with a pen is refreshing, especially now that our everyday and once loved activities have been converted to Zoom. In an attempt to salvage my mental health during quarantine, I created to-do lists for each day on a sticky note. It served as a sense of normalcy, an anchor in the chaos of our modern society. Whether it be a fading Valentine or stack of completed to-do lists, there is some handwritten keepsake that many humans can find comfort in. I believe in the power of handwriting. It not only has given me a breath of fresh air in our suffocatingly digitalized world, but allows me to reminisce amongst my fondest of memories. That was Lisa Zabelski from Springfield High School. And last, but certainly not least, we have Fatina Faisal reading her essay, Biryani and Backbiting. I'm Fatina Faisal and this, I believe. If there's anything I've learned in the 17 years that I've been alive, it's that the brown community loves spice. I'm not just talking about the cardamom in your plate of biryani or the cumin in your chicken tikka masala. I'm talking about the kind of spice you can get by eavesdropping on the aunties after the Friday prayer, chatting about whose daughter was wearing what or that they spotted someone's son alone with a girl at the movies. The kind of spice you could fill volumes of tabloid magazines with. Growing up in a predominantly Indian community, we've indirectly had the what will others think of me mindset drilled into our heads. It's evident every time my mom tells me to wear gold jewelry to appease my grandmother, or when my dad tells me not to wear certain clothes because I might be perceived as promiscuous. One wrong move and it's over. 
Our honor is a fragile and precious thing that we choose to keep in the hands of a careless community. To put it simply, it sucks to have people judge us for our every move, even though they know nothing about us. But if that's the case, why do we keep doing the same thing to other people? Well, the answer is simple. We backbite about others to make ourselves feel better about our character flaws. While this may make us feel good in the short term, this habit is a double-edged sword. Gossiping fosters a sort of mindset that says, yeah, I messed up, but at least I'm not as bad as them. This mentality, in turn, leads to complacency, which can inhibit our growth as a person. And just to be clear, this isn't just an Indian problem. Just two taps away on our phone, there's probably some celebrity getting canceled for something controversial that they said or did years ago. The whole irony of this is the fact that the people who played a part in the canceling have probably said something as, if not more, controversial themselves. The only difference between that celebrity and the general community is the fact that the celebrity committed their misdeed publicly, while we are at the liberty to do those same things in private. It's important to remember that even though some spice can add flavor to your life, too much of it can cause someone to get burned. We're all human here and we're not perfect. So why don't we stop expecting things from other people that we can't expect from ourselves? Of course, I'm not suggesting that we turn a blind eye when we see something unjust, but rather we change the way that we deal with the situation. Instead of playing the role of the punisher, we should humble ourselves and lead by example and kindness. A world where people reflect on themselves before commenting on the actions of others is a world that has much, much potential for improvement. This, I believe. That was Fatina Faisal from Springfield High School. Thank you all so much for hearing all the wonderful essays this year. We truly appreciate each and every word you wrote. Thank you so much for making us laugh, making us cry, and just remembering it's important to broadcast what you believe. Stay tuned because up next, we're gonna hear a live panel moderated by me. Good evening, everyone. Uh, I just wanna thank everyone so much for joining us tonight as we listen to the This I Believe essays this year. I just wanna thank you all for taking a little time to encourage our students. They worked so hard this year and it's always a joy for me to help coordinate this program. So I wanna thank you all for that. And I also wanna take a moment just to thank our judges from this year. Uh, we always have a good group of judges and they worked so hard this year to read all 175 essays. It's a big task to take on but they executed excellent and we had our new meeting to choose who would be the 10 essays for this year so I just want to thank you again uh some of our judges I see you out in the audience thank you because it takes a lot of time to do it but I know all of our students really appreciate what you all have done this year and now I just want to take some time to introduce you to our panel for tonight first we have Stacy Pratt McDermott, a scholarly editor and historian. She is associate editor of the Jane Addams Papers. Stacy holds a PhD in American history from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. And she raised two daughters in Springfield where she was editor at Papers of Abraham Lincoln for 20 years. An NPR junkie and writer, she has been a longtime fan of the This I Believe essay program. Her daughter, Mackenzie, was a winner in, in 2012, and it's made her a proud mother to hear her read her essay on the radio. 
When Mackenzie passed away in 2014 while studying abroad in Spain, the essay became a treasured artifact of Mackenzie's life. It also inspired the Rotary Club of Springfield Sunrise to make an annual contribution to the scholarship in Mackenzie's name at Truman State University, where she was working towards a degree in creative writing and gender studies. Welcome, Stacy. And our next panelist is Gabe Knott. D. Gabriel Knott is a Chicago-based singer, composer, arranger, and teacher of singing. Gabe is a 2018 graduate of Illinois College and is currently pursuing a master's of music in vocal performance at North Park University. When Gabe's not singing or writing music, he likes to crochet, cook, read, explore the city, and spend time with his husband, Brian, his dog, Ollie, and his cat, Mona. Gabe is a 2014 This I Believe essayist of our program. Thank you both for joining me today and let's have some fun tonight. Now, first, I always have to find out from people, how did you and your family find out about the program? And Gabe, let's start with you. I was kind of like, a, I, I guess I was a weird kid because I didn't really listen to music a lot. Um, and I really liked, I had a long drive to school. So I listened to NPR pretty much every morning. And I heard on the radio that there was this contest and I was like, oh, this would be a great like English writing assignment. So I talked to my English teacher about it and she was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll totally, you know, check your essay out after you write it and stuff. And and that's pretty much it. Like I just, you know, got the exposure direct from the source. <laughs> and you know, that's how so many of the essayists find out from the uh, teachers that haven't been a part of the program for a very long time. And Stacy, how did you and Mackenzie and your family find out about the program? Well, I'm a longtime uh, NPR nerd, so um, as soon as Mackenzie was eligible, I knew about the program since it started at WUIS, and as soon as Mackenzie was eligible to write an essay, I made her <laughs> turn to write one, uh, turn one of her college essays in, um, and it was thrilling when she won because I had been such a fan of the program. Okay, and moving on to the next question, can you tell us about your uh, belief, Gabe? And Stacy, can you tell us about what McKinsey wrote about? Um, sure, yeah. As far as uh, my belief, I think it's still a pretty pertinent one. Um, I was looking through and reading my essay that I had written it, like seven years ago now, and I realized that the date that it was published in February was like three months before gay marriage was legalized in, in the United States. Um, so it's a fight that we're still, you know, having, um, trying to find equality and trying to find solace and safety, even within communities that we feel initially really safe in. Um, going to churches and having a community that supported you your whole life and then one day nothing has changed and nobody's, you know, nobody's saying anything bad about you, but all of a sudden you say one thing that's been true the whole time and everything changes. And I think it's, I think it's super, super pertinent, super relevant. Um, it still happens every day in, in 2021. And that's why it's such an important issue. What was it like for you back in 2014, being able to write that essay? Was it hard to write with such maturity and clarity? I, I don't know that it was hard to write at all. I just was writing what I was feeling. Um, at that point, I had been 
Um, I, I, I felt uncomfortable in the church that I grew up in. So I was trying to find another one. I went to a second church and I think my second or third Sunday there, um, there was a sermon preaching against homosexuality and, and the, the horrors that gay people bring and, and all of that sort of thing. And it was, it was just so jarring to see these people who, in any other situation, want to talk about love and fairness and um, believing in people and supporting people throughout. And, and, but that, you know, who you love is the biggest problem, the biggest sticking point for a lot of people. Thank you for sharing your belief back then and even being able to talk about it now. I think it's important that uh, teenagers and just anyone isn't scared to broadcast what they believe. And I think that's why you being here tonight is so very important for us. Yeah, I, I'm so glad that I got the opportunity to be here tonight um, because for a long time, I didn't, I didn't know anyone else who was gay. Um, in my small town of Jacksonville, I was the only gay person I knew. And, and I want to, in some way, you know, have this be an availability of someone, um, some small queer person um, in rural America who wants, who, who he can hear this and feel hopeful um, and feel heard and safe. Most definitely. And Stacey, can you talk a little bit about what McKenzie wrote about in her belief essay? Um, the title of Mackenzie's essay was Anything Boys Can Do, and she wrote about uh, being the first girl to play tackle football in Sangamon County, Illinois, um, and she wrote about how her identity, her femininity, was not tied to dresses necessarily, um, and she wasn't a tomboy, and she wasn't a girly girl. She was just a girl who loved sports, loved to paint her nails, and there, she didn't see any incongruity in those two traits. Um, she, one day she'd wear basketball shorts and the next day she'd wear skinny jeans. So she wrote about um, how her identity was her own and the interests that she had were her own and that nobody got to define what was masculine or what was feminine and what was appropriate for a girl or what wasn't appropriate for a girl. And, you know, I think that's definitely still relevant today, maybe more relevant, right? Um, uh, kids should be able to pursue the interests that are in their hearts. Um, they should be able to do what they want to do and it shouldn't be defined as a tomboy or too feminine or whatever. All of us have male and female interests and traits and um, we're better uh, if we embrace those in ourselves and in each other. And why do you think that society sometimes has such a problem seeing women in different um, places that normally we haven't seen them before? Oh, B, if we had an answer to that question, we could solve some problems, couldn't we? <laughs> um, I think that, I mean, Certainly it's harder, it, in some ways it's harder for women, but I also think that men are pigeonholed into particular um, ideologies about what they should be. Uh, one thing is showing emotion. Um, we're all human. We all should sh be able to show emotion without being embarrassed by that. So um, it's not just women being told, you know, to stay in a particular place. Um, I just think we should be more fluid about those ideas and if we could be more fluid about them, I think the world would be a, a softer place. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And then moving on to the next question, what has been the impact of the program on your life or your family's life since you uh, wrote your essay or since Mackenzie has written her essay? Um, I would, for me, I would say that the most impactful part of this program was probably going through the process of writing and reading these words over and over and over again and just affirming for myself that my beliefs were okay even if I was the only person I knew who believed them even if I was the only person that I had ever met in any church I stepped into that believed the same thing I did saying it out loud reiterating it just and winning the contest, getting the chance to interface with members of the Rotary Club. I remember people coming up to me afterwards and telling me that it really resonated with them and it really um, was a brave thing to do. And I don't, I don't think it was a brave thing to do, but it made me feel so, so welcome that that, that was the opportunity that I got. And Stacy, how about you and your family? Yeah, well, I mean, for our family, um, Mackenzie having read her essay and us having that recording of her essay, it's precious. I mean, it is absolutely precious. But in a bigger way, too, the essay and Mackenzie interacting with the Springfield Rotary Club, that seven o'clock morning breakfast that she went to crying, oh, my God, I have to go somewhere at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, they, they remembered her. Um, and her essay and the story that she told. And as a result of that, they made a, a very early contribution to the scholarship fund that we set up in Mackenzie's name, which we ultimately were, we were able to endow partly because of the Rotary's interest in, in um, submitting a donation. And they've since, they've since then made an annual donation to the scholarship fund in fact, just uh, late last week, I got um, a handwritten note from Dr. Eli Goodman saying that the Rotary Club had sent their annual contribution to the scholarship and that Dr. Goodman himself had made a personal contribution to the scholarship. So I think it's, uh, it's indicative of how stories can resonate. People should, you know, when they tell their stories, stories connect us to each other. And stories can really resonate, resonate and make us all in a common place in our humanity. So I think stories are vitally important. And it's one of the reasons why I love this program so much. That's very true. And then I just have to ask, is this the first time you've looked at your essay, Gabe, since you wrote it? Um, I would say that for me, yeah, it probably is. I... <laughs> I, I might have glanced at it once. Sometimes I mention it kind of like a like a fun thing at cocktail parties. Like, oh yeah, I was on the radio when I was like 17. It's really like, do you want to listen to this cringy recording? But like, I don't know. I, I got the chance to look at it this last week. And I also was really surprised by the amount of people who were commenting on it. Um, and, and they had a lot of very strong opinions. But also I work from home now, so I have the time to respond to each and every one of their comments. And I did. <laughs>
Yeah, yeah, most definitely. You know, I think we live in such a time and age where people are more open to interacting and sharing, you know, all their opinions and things. And, and that's okay, but we must remember to be respectful and kind to each other. And I think that's one thing that this program has allowed a safe place for people to get out their beliefs and opinions, but also to show the world that they can be kind and respectful about getting out what they believe. So, Again, I just want to thank you both for allowing these essays to be in a safe space that somebody else may be inspired or impacted in a way. And Stacey, I know you've probably looked at the essay uh, just a couple of more times. Is it something you read every year or do you share it with other um, people? Well, you know, I uh, have blogged uh, since we lost Mackenzie. I have blogged and writing is a it's very good therapy for me. So I have looked at it occasionally um, over the years for sure. Um, and it's it, it, my mother and my mother-in-law um, and some of our extended family have have gone to the essay over the years too. So yeah, I mean, I've looked at my, I've looked at Mackenzie's essay probably more than Gabe looked at his. <laughs> I know when I write things sometimes I'm like, oh gosh, this is so cringy, but I think it's important to acknowledge and celebrate the things we hold near and dear to our hearts. Absolutely. And just one more question, what words of advice do you have for our chosen essayists as they begin to enter college in the adult world and leaving their parents' house or getting a job? Um, well, for me, I would say um, just keep an open mind. Um, you know, we're, it's living in central Illinois is such a special place to live in because there are a bunch of people who may or may not think exactly like you. And you, if they don't think like you, then they probably think like some close members of your family. And once you get to college, you get to meet or college or trade school or moving around, finding a position, you know, outside of where you were grown up. Um, it's, it's, it's a chance to find new things, explore new things, discover things about yourself that you didn't know or affirm things that, about yourself that you did know. And finding people who are like you, finding people who do like you, finding people who value you, that's, that's the best part of getting to, um, to go to a university for me. That's what I, you know, that was my personal experience, but it could be anything. It could be trade school. Absolutely. All paths are valid. Absolutely. And Stacy, do you have any words of advice? Um, you know, I would I would advise all of the essay winners to keep writing. Um, I think no matter what you do in life, whether you go into business or or medicine or whatever, I think continuing to write um, throughout your life. Uh, even if it's just keeping a diary or a, an irregular journal or putting some of your experiences or stories down on paper, I think continuing to write and express yourself through the written word is going to just expand your uh, intellect and your heart um, throughout your entire life. So I would encourage them all to keep writing and also keep thinking about what they believe in and asserting what they believe in. Um, and telling their stories, and also listening to other people's stories as well. Absolutely, very wise words, which is why this uh, webinar tonight is so important, because we get to hear other people's beliefs and what they hold near and dear to be very true to them. So I think it just comes round circle for us tonight. 
Okay, Gabe and Stacey, thank you so much again for joining us this evening. I really enjoy getting to ask you all these questions and dive a little bit more into the essays. And I just continue to wish you all the best and remember to keep encouraging people to broadcast what they believe all over. Yeah. Thanks, V, for the opportunity. It was great. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. No problem. All right, everybody, before we go, I have Mayor Langfielder here who wants to share some encouraging words with the essayist and some words with our audience tonight. So Mayor Langfielder, if you're ready, you can um, begin. Well, thank you, uh, B, for having me here, uh, inviting me. I really appreciate it. I was inspired by the essays. Uh, thank you to the sponsors, before I forget that, with especially NPR. They help educate us uh, regardless of our age and the Rotary, I've been invited to participate in their uh, different sessions, whether it's in the early morning, I got I could relate to Mackenzie's feelings early in the morning, I'm more of a noon or nighttime person, but they uh, do great work in connecting us all. And then the state general registers and the other uh, uh, sponsors. But really, uh, I really was inspired by the stories and the heartfelt words that the students had shared with us. And I think uh, Stacy McDermott hit it on the head. You know, the power of the written word lives on forever. And I really appreciate her sharing her words about her daughter, Mackenzie. Uh, that's truly inspiring. And uh, it just shows you what she's gone through, what Gabe's gone through, and what each student shared with us tonight. It came from the heart. And it really showed us what I believe in is our future. And it's really our youth, our young people, and each one of us challenging each other to become better. And how do we do that? Through the written word, through listening and understanding one another. And uh, one uh, life lesson I will share with you, I went to Sangamon State University and now it's UIS of course, but uh, the individual teacher had told us way back then, that was before we had the cell phones, right? They said the power of the ability to communicate through the written word, and verbally communicate with one another will uh, take you places that you will never be able to reach otherwise. So I encourage everybody to uh, continue that path of the written word, uh, especially in the social media stage, the written word, and as well as the, uh, verbally communicating with one another, listening to one another, understanding one another, and we will become stronger and our future is definitely bright. And that's what I believe in. And you've really, uh, shown that tonight. So thank you for sharing your experiences with us. Thank you, Mayor, so much for those words. And thank you again for joining us tonight. I think we all have gotten something out of this program and just listening to the wonderful essay. So again, thank you. Thank you. All right, folks. Well, I'm going to wrap things up. I want to thank you all, the audience. Thank you so much for joining us tonight as we celebrate this year's essayist. I hope everyone gets something, just a little bit of something from each essay that they can talk about tonight with their families, that they can tell their friends and family about. Continue to talk about this program all year. Continue to encourage other high school students, other students everywhere to listen to these essays, to write down their beliefs, to just don't be scared to really share what's on your heart because you're gonna impact and inspire somebody somewhere, even if it's one person. 
Thank you and congrats to all the essayists this year. You all have truly um, inspired us again. It's the 15 year in the program. We, we wanna bring it to 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, 100 years. So you all won't be the last people to inspire us, but we do thank you for the words you shared with us this year. I wanna tell everybody to have a wonderful evening and this, I believe. Thank you everyone.